Brother Pele is in the back. Sweet Xena's in the front, cruising down the hot freeway in the hot, hot sun. Suddenly, red-blue lights flash us from behind. Loud voice booming, please step out from the line. Pele preach words of comfort. Xena just hides her eyes. Police taps the, his shades. Is that a Chevy 69? How bizarre. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Drew, I hope that that was short enough for you. It was perfect. And what was really impressive is how much you fought the urge to sing and or rap that. That's a fact. Um, so yeah. that was really, really impressive. That uh, that lyric comes to us uh, per request of one of our listeners. So uh, I just need to give a shout out to uh, B. Lee. I love you. That was brilliant. <laughs> uh, one of our consistent listeners, mm-hmm. which is great. That's right. He, so, has his, he has his own digital thing going now. Oh, good. Yeah, he does a virtual happy hour at Father Patty's in Woodland, California, every Wednesday now. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 been fun to watch him grow as like a presenter over that time frame. Because you know, I mean, first, you know, when the whole lockdown started, they started that. I mean, everybody was in an awkward position, and you know, Brian knows his stuff, but not necessarily being in front of a camera, you know, and stuff like that. But as you saw, as time went on, you know, if you like tune in now, you're just kind of like, Oh, he's like really comfortable and he's good. And he's like, he's that charismatic person that you're used to seeing normally, you know, and now he's, now he's able to convey that through video. So it's been kind of fun to watch him grow in that way. Well, there you go, B you've got a, you've got some, uh, some kudos coming from the master drew. Yeah, I and I've mean, already started a Facebook fan page. I'll invite you. So that's where I'm at with it. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, what are you drinking, bud? Oh man, I am drinking Watts Winery, um, uh, the uh, Fog Valley Vineyard Red Blend, uh, their Juneteenth release. Uh, it is quite yummy, and it is uh, a blend of Cab and Zin. And I'm not exactly sure what else, uh, but it's definitely cabins in. Those are two solid ones to go with. And they're out of Lodi. So, and Lodi, Lodi does both cab and Zin very well. Agreed. What are you Agreed. drinking on? Um, I am, because it's so effing hot right now, I am starting to transition into my easy summer drinks. And so I'm just doing a uh, gin and soda. Um, and I am using the gun club gin, which is from sun liquor, which is up in Seattle. And this is a yeah. cool little brand that, that we actually distribute. It's a, you know, it's a pot still gin. Um, this one comes in at a hundred proof as well, which I really like, uh, cause you don't need a whole lot to, um, to get where you need to go. And it's got some really cool, it's got a really cool bottle too. I just, I just really like dig this company and they just do some cool stuff. I mean, it basically started as a situation of, you know, Hey, we started making our own syrups and then we started making our own bitters and why don't we just make our own spirits? And cause they started as a bar and then became a little distillery. So just kind of a cool, cool story, fun, fun products. Um, and yeah, like I said, I think, I think their gin is their, is their shining stuff that they really, yeah, I, I agree with you. With. I, I like, um, have you ever been to their bar? I, I enjoyed their bar quite a bit. No, I still have not been. So uh, they've got a there. they've got a pretty fantastic cocktail program there, um, and so it's a, a you know a cute little aesthetic that's a, that's in the space that they, you know used to be a neighborhood bar, and I mean, I guess it still is a neighborhood bar, um, but they they've they've kind of zhuzhed it up just a little bit. It's nice. That's cool. Yeah, so I'll be sipping on lots of those over the next couple of months. Um, it's just. It's just we're already getting there. We're already getting to that extreme heat, you know. I know. I was I was hoping that we would miss some of that. Uh, I knew that we wouldn't, and that it always <laughs> tends to come a little bit late. But I was hoping because, you know, we hit like one hundred two what like two weeks ago, and then it it dipped back down to seventy, um, and uh, now we're back there again. Yay! It's fucking yeah. gross. The emotional roller coaster continues. Yeah, I just, you know, I can deal with heat and, and even today is not so bad. I just I draw the line at, at um, the 
at, at like smelling the ground cook. You know, like that's, <laughs> that's kind of it. Like that's, that's when I, I don't go outside anymore. Right. Cause you're just like, there's just heat coming from every direction. Yeah. It's, it's gross. Yeah. Well, so there's our, uh, Big time selling point for Sacramento. Move here. It's hot as hell. <laughs> yeah, okay. But that that being said, the nights are super sexy. Uh when when it is really uh really hot outside uh with the yeah. Delta Breeze. I now I don't know if you do you get the Delta Breeze in Rockland? No, uh, we oh, okay. I mean we we get some we still get some cooler nights, um, which which helps, but we definitely don't get the the benefit of of that quite as much as as you guys do in well, Sacramento. You know, my house is right off the river, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like what, four blocks away from the river. Um, it's, it's lovely. You know, that, that just, that wind comes down and just pulls all that gross heat out and just leaves you with a super sexy night. It's great. It's a great, great way to like sit outside, smoke cigar, drink wine, whiskey, whatever. Yeah. Or the above or all of them uh, at once. Yeah. Um, so before we jump into our news stories, which we love just to jump into with our fancy music and everything now, um, you, the wine that you had mentioned, uh, you said it was a, it was a special, special release for Juneteenth. That's right. Yeah. And then, um, you also pretty much revamped your whole store for that day as well could you for the for the people who didn't see it can you talk about what you did and all that fun stuff yeah uh i i had decided uh so so the store is um for those of you who don't know uh is in the heart of at least sacramento uh, across the street from the capitol and so we've been surrounded by by protests you know for the better part of a month now um and uh, we as a store, uh, were fully prepared to lose everything in, uh, you know, going down in flames for the cause. Uh, it, we were, we would have been bummed if we had lost everything, but we half expected it just because everything else around us had been, had been trashed a lot, you know, stores had been ransacked, uh, you know, tons of glass windows had been crushed and, uh, somehow we survived. But, um, regardless of that, uh, the, it it's brought a lot of attention to the needs of of people of color in the United States and uh and rightfully so um but Juneteenth is freedom day i mean it's the day where where slaves were told that they were free in the south and we should celebrate that because there is no freedom if even one person is in slave slavery is enslaved. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. So Juneteenth has always been a big day for me. Um, ever, ever since I learned about it in high school. Um, and I'm always surprised when people don't know it. So now that I own my own company, I was able to celebrate it and I, I didn't really know the right way to go about it. Cause you know, I'm a white guy and I didn't want to be, I didn't want to, I didn't want it to come across that. Um, you know, I was I was being opportunistic, you know, for uh, for me, it was really about celebrating the day. And um, you and I had talked, Drew, you know, um, leading up to this, that I had been looking for black owned spirits, black owned wines and how difficult that was. And and it continues to be difficult. Um, and, and there are a lot of reasons for that, whether it's access to capital, um, access to um, permits. And then access to the market, you know, all three of those things uh, are incredibly difficult for anybody, much less if you have societal, um, you know, um, what am I trying to say? If you're societally impressed, uh, oppressed. Yeah. Um, So it continues to be a struggle. It's something that we're definitely still going to still going to work towards and and towards developing for the store but essentially what we did was we everything that i could get i took everything else off the shelves and i put up everything that was black owned on the shelves and i i knew that the shelves would be bare um you know all things considered because i had 
three spirits. It was supposed to be four, but uh, the fourth, I'm still waiting for it to show up uh, from the distributor. Uh, um, so I'll be excited when it does show up. Uh, and and uh, we had uh, uh, two wines, two wines, three wines. Uh, we had Watts Winery. We had um, Brown Estate, which is the only only black owned uh, wine in Napa Valley. And we had McBride Sisters uh, out of uh, San Luis Obispo, and we had their Riesling. Uh, unfortunately, I can only get a case of that, so that disappeared real fast. I got myself a bottle of that, so I'm okay with the situation. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's it's legit wine. Um, it, the the wine itself was called Black Girl Magic. So what's not to love about that? You know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We partnered. We partnered with uh, a sh- um, a a a company that we already partner with um, called last supper society. Uh, it's a black owned company, uh, a chef who's, who's Michelin trained. Um, they had started off their concept by doing, um, by doing pop-ups, but obviously when shelter in place happened, they couldn't do that. So they, they pivoted to, to doing um, um, virtual cooking classes. Uh, so people show up now to our store, pick up their, their kit for for that evening's cooking class and then go home and then seven o'clock at night they they have their class all together on online and it's a really it's a really cool concept they've they've the guys have had great success and they're still growing which is awesome um so partnering with them uh and they they helped push it and i i checked with them because i knew that they were going to be there that day and they were super supportive of the idea as well which was really kind of the first big win for me to like that. I was going in the right direction um, was, was those guys were not just supportive, but they were eager, you know, they love the idea. So um, they really helped push from like a PR perspective uh, the event. And then uh, with the shelves being bare, I brought in um, some artist homies, um, some photographers who, um, you know, black photographers who've got a great voice. They've got great style um, and so they were able to tell their story a little bit too. So it was really just a great way to bring the community together and which has always been the, the goal of my store anyway. Um, so it wasn't really anything that crazy other than just focusing on in on a, a very specific set of inventory. Yeah. Um, but we ended up having the best day of business we've ever had, which is, incredibly validating and uh it, you know it it still is really touching um because it just means that people still give a shit about community which is pretty neat yeah i think um you know when when we talked about it initially um i i think it's been hard for a lot of white people to kind of find their place in this whole in in what's happening right now and you want to be helpful you want to you know find ways that you can really amplify voices in the best way possible without you know, pandering or anything like that and coming off as disingenuous. Um, and I think would, you know, both of us are going back and forth for a couple of days, sending each other links to like, okay, this is, this is black owned, this is black owned, whether it was spirits or wine or what the fuck ever, you know, we were just kind of going back and forth on that. Um, and it, it certainly became illuminating, like how frustrating it was really going to be, you know, and how you're just kind of like, huh, all right, this is something that I've never thought of before. And I clearly need to be, a lot more aware of. Um, and ultimately it's going to come down to how it tastes. Right. I, yeah, you know, I, I, I think, I think we need to, you know, of course, you know, make the extra effort right now, but like it's, it's got to taste good. And I can say at least for that Riesling, um, it's really good. And I also like would, cause I think at first we both were like, Oh, well, uncle nearest, like we know about that, but that was really the only brand that we had heard of. And so it had to grow from that point. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing, more people talk about those brands and explore more of them. I mean, I also picked up a bottle of the Brown Estates, but I just haven't cracked it open yet. So, uh, which one did you get? Did you get there? Did uh, the Chaos Theory or the or the Zinfandel? I got the Zinfandel. Okay, that's I. I still haven't had the Zinfandel. I had the Chaos Theory. Um, Chaos Theory is named because they they change it up every year, but it's a signature blend for them. Um, so they they change up what goes in it, but they create a blend that that speaks to who they are Mm. that's my so that hence chaos theory that's cool 
yeah so so i got the zin so as soon as i do crack that open i'll be sure to uh to give you the rundown on it you know but i mean but but i'll say this uh, you know walking into your store on that day i mean it looked great i think you guys did a really good job on the execution and to hear that you had such a successful day as well i mean it was you know that's really cool i mean i i was also there i was picking up the last supper society stuff as well and then um and then you ended up getting more cool stuff after i left which i'm actually still kind of pissed about um because <laughs> i definitely would have bought some of the colin kaepernick captain america shirts because those are awesome um, yeah they're great they're definitely coming back into the store so so yeah i think that i think it was a really cool thing and i'm just i'm happy to hear that it was successful and that it was just and you know and again it was successful for a lot of people you know it was a really cool collaboration well i, I i'll say something um and i kind of want to give you props uh, because you you said something that stuck with me and actually has still been like reverberating inside of my head um and it was really important to hear and i don't know if you you meant it to be as impactful as it was but you know when we first started talking about it and we were mentioning just how frustrating it all was you said well like this is this is partially on you because you've never asked before and <laughs> and that's 100% correct like and it was totally embarrassing um, because I'm, you know, I try to be aware, I try to be supportive, you know, and, and you were 100% correct about that, that I had never asked. And so much so that when I turned around and I asked all my distributors, they were equally embarrassed because they're like, this is incredibly sobering for us because, well, some of them played defense. Some of them were like, well, you know, we like, we, we almost had one and then, you know, it just didn't work out. <laughs> You're like, uh, all right, guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but most of them were fairly humble about it and like, yeah, no, this is, this is, this is a, a point that we need to concentrate on. You know, we need to focus on this because there is dope booze out there. Right. And that's, that's sort of the point is, is just because, just because it's somebody else is making it that, at least in the case of the United States is atypical um, that owns a brand doesn't make it not good. Right. Yeah. It, it doesn't also make it great, but like you said, it comes down to the juice and everything that I brought in uh, with uh, I will, I will say the tequila that I brought in was not something I'm super proud of and I probably won't reorder other than that everything else was pretty damn delicious and will stay on my shelves um as as long as i can continue to get them you know and and i'm not having any any uh, distributor problems right Um, like i'm still having and that's the issue like i talk i i reached out to a few people i reached out to a couple wineries i reached out to a winery in oregon that i've heard amazing things about and they don't have california distribution and that makes it really difficult um to be able to sell dope shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I, for my own personal growth in this scenario, like I've always, I've been a big champion of, of, um, you know, Mexican spirits over the past few years and definitely an emphasis on Mexican owned brands and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I know that I've had an impact in that arena and I look forward to, you know, finding more cool brands and really diversifying my personal collection. And I I think for, I think for a long time, I never really considered who was making my booze until I started going down to Mexico and traveling and meeting those people. And that's when I really started to put more, a lot more stock in it. And now this is just another opportunity to learn and kind of be like, okay, now let's continue to ask questions, not just of agave, but of whiskey, of, you know, vodka, wine. Let's, let's start asking these questions and, you know, really try to start building up these brands, regardless of, of race and who's making it just like this, build up more good brands. Cause there's, there's obviously a lot of good stuff out there that we're not drinking. It, right. Yeah, like I, I am particularly excited about my vodka to still come in, and uh, no one else seems to be on the same page as me about being <laughs> excited about this. And that's fine. I get it. It is Scrapple flavored vodka. Uh, you should Google that because I made Drew Google it, and he said ew, and then I said no, you're ew, and he said well, 
maybe I'm looking at the wrong thing. And I said, no, you're, you're probably not. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I'm, it's like- I'm incredibly excited for it because it's one of those things that it's like, this is either going to be dope or it's going to be terrible. And then I'm stuck with 12 bottles of it. But can, can I read the description of Wikipedia I would, I would to, love to it guest? if you did okay. that. Yes. All right. And so then you can actually tell me if, if I'm wrong or not. Um, so when I Googled it, this is the first thing that pops up. So Scrapple, also known by the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Dutch name Panhas or Pan Rabbit. Am I on the right track? Yep. Oh, fuck. Here we go. Um, <laughs> is traditionally a mush of pork scraps and trimmings combined with cornmeal and wheat flour, often buckwheat flour and spices. The mush is formed into a semi-solid Kongli loaf and then slices of the scrapple are then pan fried before serving. Yeah. And it's someone, so good. <laughs> and someone was like, you know what we need to do? <laughs> Infuse vodka with it. That's right. And you knowing me, how could I not buy that? I mean, I guess. Like how how do you know that and then see that? See that that's a thing that someone invested money into doing that and not go, I got to know. I have to know if this is good. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a, I think I'm of the mindset that I would love to try it. Um, but just- well, sure, and you get you get the benefit of me purchasing it in order to try it. I don't yeah. have that benefit. I have to buy it in order to in order to try it. So, yeah, a, ca- a case it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah, when that comes in, there you go. Um, that's just great yeah uh, it's a uh also it's painted stave out of out of delaware so i'll give them give them a little bit of love on that um uh i don't know if it's good is it or called not, off, I, off off the hoof vodka. off the hoof yep i'll say so i just googled that and i and i will say for the logo and the the packaging alone it might be worth the purchase that's what i'm saying <laughs> It's, it's good to know that you're just as twisted as I am. Yeah. <laughs> that our priorities are set in very similar uh, arenas. <laughs> well, I mean, when it comes to vodka, I mean, come on. Like, you got to do something to get my interest. Um, and this got this has like a sleeveless pig with a heart tattoo or something. What is that? Um, anyways, it looks kind of like a biker pig. And they are definitely trying to convey some type of message here. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to trying it. We'll s- see how that turns out. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, all right. So on to the news. On to the news. So our first story is actually coming back to like almost full circle for us when we first started this podcast it was back in like december of of last year so 2019 and the only thing that anybody was talking about at that time was the tariffs and the tariffs that the trump administration was going to put onto um france and scotland and then vice versa um fortunately you know, we avoided the 100% tariffs, but we did see a slight increase. Um, yeah, that, we saw tw- 25%. Yeah. And so now there's they're kind of going back to the negotiating table and uh, in, in the month of July, which is next month. And they have, unfortunately, more things have come up within this trade dispute. Whereas before, it was mostly just a dispute over Airbus and different uh taxes on that and that was the big controversy between the u.s and the uk uh in particular the european union and now uh in addition to all the airbus controversy you now have the digital services tax which is something that both uh france and italy uh imposed onto companies like Google and Facebook. And so basically it's turned into this pissing match between the Trump administration and now, um, and then the EU and it could get really, really ugly. This has already had quite a bit of ramifications for 
smaller distillers in the U.S. Um, it's definitely hit consumers' pocketbooks uh, with the increase to single malts across across Scotland, and then of course um, wineries are are really feeling it too. Uh, one of our mutual friends, uh, her company course uh lbv imports with kelly babino she's also really felt it too so there has been you know we've we have covered this before but this is kind of where we're at now and you do have an opportunity um to go onto the u.s trade representatives website and you can submit your comments towards them and what they what you think that they should do so i would encourage people to do that before july 15th but um chris do you have any additional thoughts on the tariff talk yeah uh i'm curious if the administration is so tough on this because they're insulted that Europe would make these companies pay taxes, but we won't. <laughs> yeah, um, that's kind of that's kind of what I got. I'm, I like <laughs> I, I want to be wittier than that, but I, I I don't know. Like we shouldn't be offended by these companies being taxed. That's I, how I, I mean, but I think it's I I I think it's more so, um, you know. Because Trump takes everything so personally. He's like, they're coming after well, me. He's, he, you know? I mean, with shelter in place and whatnot, you know, we've been on an economic roller coaster and shelter in place. COVID has not helped his numbers at all. Um, and so now he's just trying to play the strong man. Um, you know, I think it's it's fairly obvious for everyone who's been watching this entire time that that's, that's still what's happening. Yeah. And I, you know, I... I don't really know what else to say other than please don't. <laughs> well, just please I mean, don't. I mean, just please don't put a hundred percent tax on things because that's real dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, um, you know, when you do get into these pissing matches, it's not really any of them that are going to suffer. It's going to be all the employees that can then get put out of work because you know prices are going to increase so significantly. Um, so, you know, do what you can, visit the um, the U.S. Trade Representative website, submit your comments and your feelings towards the potential hikes. I mean, you just never know what's going to resonate. Uh, and then if they have this outpouring of support, you know, or against it, I mean, they do take that into consideration. That was a huge part of what happened in January was how many people came forward and spoke um, and submitted Yeah, your voice definitely it. matters. Yeah. Um but especially emails, especially phone calls. Mm -hmm. uh, emails are, are easily disregarded, but blowing up someone's phone uh, to the point where they can't take other phone messages uh, definitely has an impact. So uh, I know that because I talked to I talk to uh, local local uh, politicians uh, who come into my store who say that they're ignoring phone calls as they're shopping. So you know, I know that it works. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little there's a little how the sausage gets made in sacramento <laughs> um good lord uh that's just great okay move moving on uh <laughs> but, but sticking but sticking with our fantastic government um there is currently a bipartisan bill that's being worked on right now that will be a 120 billion dollar stimulus package that will be focused solely on restaurants um, and bars and uh, it's currently being put together right now some of the details with it uh, if your establishment um, gross revenue is less than 1.5 1.5 million or less you will be eligible for this loan um, as opposed to the PPP which was heavily uh, skewed towards payroll this one you can use for whatever uh, mortgage rent more overhead costs, you know, costs again. You can use it for payroll, but I do, I do know in my conversations with a lot of people, one of the big issues with the PPP loan was that it wasn't necessarily having to pay their employees. That was, you know, freaking them out. It was the fact that they had all these bills due, like rent, electricity, um, and uh, their vendors as well. That was what was going to sink them. So. Uh, it's you know it's gaining a lot of support. The Restaurant Association is behind it as well. Um, like I said, this is a bipartisan bill, so there's a better chance that it will pass. Right now, it looks pretty straightforward, but I'm sure as it gets closer to an actual vote, they'll put all kinds of stupid shit in it, you know, to get uh, agendas taken care of. But um, I don't know what it. I mean, 
what what did you see when you were reading the article? Well, I I'm with you in that uh, it's it's a it's a small glimmer of hope, and um, I I was surprised because this definitely came from a group that I didn't expect to see something this actionable um, come from, you know, um, I, I think it's important for people to understand who are not in the industry or, or maybe in the industry, but don't like have an idea of sort of how numbers run uh, restaurants. When they, when they open up every day, start off in the red, everything right. they're in debt. So, Right off, right off the bat, you're already in debt, and so you have to you have to sell a certain amount just to get to your to your bottom line, <laughs> and and then you and then you have to sell even more to maybe make a profit, maybe, right? The typical restaurant makes between zero to fifteen percent profit in its lifetime, so just just so people understand that. So when when restaurateurs are concerned about paying their suppliers and paying know, paying for the groceries, the, the stuff that they need to cook those meals. Um, so they can continue to get those deliveries, uh, from distributors. It's, it's a real, it's a real problem, you know, um, much less than on top of that, having to pay their mortgage, having to pay their lease, um, which is oftentimes, I guess it depends on, on your, um, on your neighborhood, on your address. But I'll, I'll tell you here in Sacramento, uh, the typical restaurant will pay about a dollar a square foot um, in for their lease. Right. Mm. And that's, that's usually negotiable. So I think people need to understand that when they walk into a place and they say, okay, how much does it cost to run it? How much does it cost just to like exist in this space? Um, so this, this money this money is a big deal. We'll see if it actually comes out too, and we'll see how how much good it does. I know I've, we received a little bit of the uh, of the first PPP um, to help pay for our our two employees, um, so it wasn't much, and uh, it should have been more. But um, me and my partner don't take a paycheck, uh, so we couldn't include ourselves in that. Um, because we weren't there yet in, in the, the course of opening a business. Uh, so that sucked. So that means that we just have to delay that even more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously I hope that this bill comes out pretty clean cut and, um, you know, I, and I, th- I think there's been a lot of talk over the past few months from multiple mediums, you know, talking about the razor thin margins of restaurants. And, you know, some of these loans really did do a lot of good for people in different situations. But when it comes to um, to restaurants, yeah, like, you know, the the labor obviously takes enough is, is a huge part of it. And um, I know I'm having conversations now with people who have decided not to reopen yet is that they just simply can't afford to pay anybody uh, at the current minimum wage that exists in California, as well as, you know, um, uh, everything else that goes into running a restaurant. I mean, their thought process is like, you know, hey, I finally just paid off my debt. I'm not going to go back into debt to make this happen. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bummer that people are feeling that way. And, you know, I, I know right now it's, it just doesn't seem like there's a path to success, but hopefully if something like this bill does get passed, it'll give people a little bit more breathing room, knowing that they can kind of spread those funds out and take care of some bills that they maybe weren't be able to before. Yeah. And I think if you're, if you're outside of the bubble of this industry, uh, or even if you're stuck inside the bubble, um, I have a few facts here that I, I think will contextualize the arguments. Um, I, I, it's important to keep in mind when we're talking about restaurants, it's not just like, oh, this is, um, you know, something that's just happens to be nice, you know, but it wouldn't really matter if it went away, you know, um, in the United States, uh, the restaurant restaurants employ 15.6 million workers. Uh, that is 10% of the, of the complete workforce. 
Uh, they contribute $863 billion to the GDP. On top of that, an additional $24 billion uh, gets contributed to the, to the national GDP from bars and nightclubs. Um, and that doesn't even include the supply chain impact. Uh, we're not talking about distrib- you know, we're not talking about distributors. We're not talking about truck drivers. We're not talking about farmers. We're not talking about distillers. That's simply just the point of business. Um, 70% of all U.S. restaurants are single unit operated. So that means it's most of them, 70% are mom and pop shops. Uh, table service restaurants add more than $263 billion to the GDP. Um, the cost of replacing uh, an, an employee breaks down to an average of $5,684 for replacing an employee. That's including training, um, you know, bringing them on, insurance, everything like that. And that's according to HubSpot. Um, So when we're talking about why funding restaurants matters, it's because it's a significant part of the national food chain, right? And, And the economic platform that restaurants serve both culturally and and for our bottom line as a nation is huge. I mean, it's substantial. It's nothing to be scoffed at. But um, so when we talk about tariffs on wine and we talk about bailing out restaurants, this is why. I mean, it's yeah. 10% of the national workforce. And I've seen, I've seen certain figures that suggest that 50% of that workforce isn't going back to work. They're not going to be able to that, you know, things are going to be close. That's that's 5% of the national workforce that have a skill that will not be rehired. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. That's 7 million people. You know, we yeah. freak out when, you know, a single uh, when a single, you know, car plant closes and the amount of people that go out of work there or a coal mine that closes. Right. We're talking 7 million people. That's nuts. Yeah, I think that's um, you know uh, unfortunate reality that a lot of people have not accepted yet uh, that they're not going to be returning to this industry, and it's you know it sucks. I don't I don't want people to uh, you know to have to go through that and feel that, but it's it's definitely the reality. I mean, uh, you know, and eventually the industry is is going to bounce back in a hopefully in a different way, in a more sustainable way, um, and maybe this bill ends up being kind of the bridge to that. But yeah, I mean, you said like all the numbers are there. Like this has been such a bigger, I don't think any industry has been hit harder than ours, you know? So I'm looking forward to, to this getting done. Um, but yeah, so now I, I agree with you. I really hope that, it, it, that, um, you know, like, well, like when we were talking with, uh, with Rick Dobbs, you know, I, 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 I hope that what comes out of this is something that's more sustainable and, um, and less less culturally broken um you know I, yeah. I hope that a lot of these things get fixed we're we're at a, a precipice and turning point in in our country now that i i hope that a lot of things get shaken out in the wash yeah that's actually something that um andrew zimmer has been talking a lot about through his social media channels. So I don't know if you've caught any of that, but I have it's, um, him and Tom Calicolo as well. Uh, David Chang. It's, it's been cool to see like the big kind of voices, you know, talk about this stuff and get it out there. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, it's not going to fall on deaf ears and we can actually, you know, cause we're basically starting from, from, you know, the ashes. So we can rebuild this industry in a better way. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people are kind of going to get left behind initially, but hopefully we can make it better. So things like this it won't be as susceptible to, you know, a crisis like this in the future. Yeah. I mean, if even if we just look at basic viruses that, that have threatened uh, the industry throughout throughout history, I mean, the the biggest one is phylloxera, right? I mean, that's, that's the one everybody, everybody knows, you know, phylloxera wiped out grapes across multiple nations. Um, it's one of the reasons why cognac is still revered as like a, as a prestige item rather than, uh, rather than brandy just being an everyday, 
uh, sipper, you know, that it was such a, such a huge part of our culture. And then phylloxera happened, became super expensive, right? Uh, yeah. We talk about, we talk about the potential, the potential of that happening with agave, right? And why clones are, why it's important to not just clone and monoculture entire crops. Um, I think from a cultural standpoint, we, we need to take the same lessons and know that we need to, we need to make ourselves a little bit more sturdy so that way we don't, we don't become susceptible the same way. Yeah. There was a, um, a few months back, uh, David Chang's restaurant group, uh, he closed some of his restaurants and he has quite a bit. So, I mean, he's going to be fine, but, um, he was talking about it after in, one of the things that he said that has really stuck with me over the past few months was he's all, we can never be this vulnerable again. And I was like, Oh my God, that's, yeah, it's just, it's so simple, but so clear. And we, you know, we need to do what we can uh, to avoid that. Uh, So, all right. So now into our final topic today and the, uh, a very well-researched part of it, and this all has to do with Walmart suing the state of Texas. And what they want to do is they want to start um, selling spirits at their stores. Uh, just you guys know, Texas is a uh, state-controlled liquor system. So basically what that means is that every bottle of liquor, spirits, wine, everything has to be bought through a uh, state designated store. So even if you, so like here in California, you know, you can go to uh, Total Wine and um, then you can go to your local liquor store. And and right now you can actually go to restaurants and buy bottles. Um, and then restaurants and these stores, what they do is they work through a distributor. Well, in this situation, in Texas, you all have to go to – they all have to go to state-ran liquor stores. And um, it's a really tedious process, but you know, it's one of the ways that they keep Texas people employed or however they like to look at it. So in doing your research, Chris, what did you find out about this situation? Well, I okay, so – this is not it's not a new situation at all like this is uh, this has been happening uh since prohibition you know and there are many states that that do this i know trader joe's got into the same fight with ohio uh they lost um this uh what uh state of washington just went um i want to say like 5 or 6 years ago switched over from being um uh a control state um, I know that in Pennsylvania, uh, a lot of the a lot of the store owners are trying to trying to lobby to be a privately run state rather rather than a um, a control state. So this is like this is not a new story. What makes this fascinating though is that uh, uh, about a year ago, um, there was a a court case that went up to the Supreme uh, sorry the Sixth Circuit. Um, appellate court in, and the court case was Tennessee wine and spirits association V Thomas. And essentially what was ruled on was that the, uh, uh, forgive me. I am looking at my, my notes here. Um, what, what got ruled on was that the Tennessee had tried to implement, uh, in very much the same way as, as Texas that, um, in order to achieve, in order to obtain a, uh, an alcohol permit, a liquor license, uh, you had to be a resident for 10 years. And then in order to, in order to, um, resubmit and, and get that license again, um, the same license that you already had, you, you had to maintain that residency for the entire time for 10 years as well. And so essentially the, the findings in, in, uh, Tennessee wine and spirits association v. Thomas was that, it it uh, came came apart in what what is called a um, oh forgive me I'm trying to remember exactly what it's called the dormant com- commerce clause of the U.S. Constitution. Essentially, what that means is that no 
state can create a law that prohibits commerce um, that the federal government has already ruled to be permissible. The supremacy clause is is without question cannot cannot come into cannot be violated. Supremacy clause states that the the U.S. federal government remains supreme. So whatever whatever their laws are are the law of the land. Now there's small small um, you know maneuverability that that you can have in terms of states' rights within that. But the finding that Tennessee, uh, the, the Wine and Spirits Association v. Thomas, negated that. And it's the same, pretty much the same law that, that Walmart is suggesting that Texas has had. Texas has had um, many, uh, has had, what, 25 years of this law. In which I, I think they they say like ninety four percent of of Texas owned um, liquor permits are owned by Texans, which is ostensibly a really great thing. Um, I mean, I'm certainly never on the side of Walmart, but them <laughs> them taking this to the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court has wide ranging. Um, connotations. I mean, that who knows a what the what the Supreme Court's going to say, um, and not just how they rule in terms of Texas, but when that comes down in terms of Texas, does that mean that California is going to have to change its laws? Uh, does that mean Pennsylvania will have to change their, their laws? Uh, that precedent being sent is huge. I will say though, um, uh. Uh, taking a closer look at Texas, because I've talked to m- multiple suppliers over the years who just banged their head against the wall about Texas specifically. And it's like, from what I've heard, is that they have uh, pretty much like a, a, or a fourth tier um, in dealing with Texas. Um, they have 254 counties. Over 50 of them are dry counties. There is one town in Texas that uh, that is in both counties. One of them is a dry county and one of them is not. So in certain parts of the town, you can drink and other parts you can't. Um, let's see. Uh, you're on Sunday. You're not allowed to sell booze. That's over 17 percent alcohol um, in order to uh, sell alcohol. Um, it's a by county by county basis. So every single county needs to have a permit in order to deliver alcohol. Um, a lot of those are called package stores. I, I think for the East Coast, a lot of people will know what a package store is. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, the Supreme Court's supposed to rule on this on July 13th. So it's right around the corner. So we'll definitely keep you updated. This is this is a pretty huge one. And I'm 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 kind of excited to see what the Supreme Court rules on this. Um, but, uh, to, you know, again, I, and to your point, there's a lot of ramifications that I think this lawsuit can have. And one of them is, and, and I think this is, this is going to be a stretch, but, you know, this could be that dismantling of like these state ran liquor stores, because I mean, they're, they're not convenient for anybody to work with. Um, and, and strictly from an aesthetic point of view, like if you go to a Texas bar, like you just see all these awful, um, like government stamps on every single bottle. So it completely ruins the aesthetic of your bar. And I don't think they put enough stock in that. Like I look at your back bar and I'm like, uh, looks like you just bought that. And it's literally because they probably did. Um, and that's a totally trivial and petty thing. And I realize that, but it really bothers me in the times that I've been in Texas and I've looked at their back bars and I'm like, Oh, those government stamps are just way too big. I don't think it's trivial at all. I think it's, a, uh, it, it's really perceptive. Um, because as we know, when it comes to building out the aesthetic of a bar, um, it, it's an emotional thing. It, it, it has huge implications based on uh, huge implications ab- about what people are willing to spend in a space. Now, maybe well, if, you, if you're a Texan, you know, you, you, you probably get numb to something like that 
over the course of time, you know, but, but if you're, if you are a tourist in Texas, that is something as simple as that could probably turn you off to spending, you know, a hundred dollars as opposed to $300, you know? Um, and you multiply that over however many tourists hit up Dallas and Austin or, you know, go down for spring break. I mean, that's, that's substantial. Yeah. And I, I mean, and, and, and thinking back to my trips now, like it absolutely had that effect on me where we would be in these fancy places and I would look at some of the bottles on the bar and I'd be like, I'm like, let's just get one thing and let's get out of here. Like this just looks weird. And then in places that I didn't have a sight line to the bar, I drank more at. Oh, funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now that I'm like really starting to take stock and didn't think about it. That was 100% the case. I mean, and, and again, like it's, they're like big gaudy stickers that go on these bottles, you know? And I think that's the point, right? To be like, yes, we're buying from the state liquor store and stuff like that. But from the aesthetic point of view, like it just looks, you know, it looks like you just went down to your corner liquor store, picked up a bottle and it was on sale and had a big on sale sticker on it, you know? Right. So, um, you know, I, I, I think if you if you can start dismantling these these rules and stuff and these you know and then honestly the kind of ridiculous rules I mean again I, th- I think at the heart of it it makes sense and you, I'm also not one to want to be on Walmart's side on this but it also does prevent a lot of people across the United States from getting cool stuff you know if you run if you live in a state ran um, you know state like it's or you know the control states like most of the time you don't have as much access to some of the better spirits that are available in the u.s you know but not i mean not even that it's uh, man my um so m- my best friend growing up he he spent some time oh what's the best way to lead into this story so he um he, i mean we're east coast kids uh his his folks uh, the town that we lived in was maybe 30 minutes from the Pennsylvania border in, in New Jersey. And uh, uh, when, when I would go visit him, when he was living in Philadelphia, um, we would have to stop on the way back from visiting his folks who are like, they're, they're like my surrogate parents. I mean, they're like, I, we've been best friends since we were, one, you know, and so his parents had been there for me through thick and thin, through everything. Like my, you know, his dad just came out of a heart surgery this, this last week, which is just mind blowing. He's, you know, 70 something years old and just received a, a brand new heart, essentially that's 20 years younger than him, which is just incredible uh, and unheard of. So, you know, by knocking on wood that everything still goes amazingly well and he's home and he's great um but you know everybody in pennsylvania drives to another state in order to buy booze it's just it's just or they drive to canada or you know like it's it's they go somewhere else because buying booze in pennsylvania is such a pain in the ass and it costs so much uh so much so that 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 ohio had to close its border down between Pennsylvania and Ohio during shelter in place because of the amount of people who crossed the border to go to Ohio to buy booze. Yeah. So they had to, they, you know, you had to show your ID to prove that you were an Ohio resident in order to buy booze in Ohio because so many people go across the state state line to do it. So this is not like, this isn't a new thing. It's like, it's, it's culturally ingrained in some of these states. Right. You know? Right. Which, I mean, if you, if you look at it, even from like, from a political side, well, you have all that money's leaving your state to go buy booze. Like, how is that? How is that a win? That's a, a good point. As a politician, yeah. you know, like you're, you're losing money by having some of these restrictions. Put well, what place. I oftentimes very find very ironic is that usually these, these restrictions are coming from anti big government conservatives, right? Because they, they want those restrictions on state spending for booze because it like, it looks morally bad or something. 
<laughs> but it's like it this 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 is this doesn't look good, you know, but it's become so ingrained in at societally. It's I don't know. I, I'm really fascinated to see where this this uh, court case goes. Um, yeah, I, I do think it's like an underrated or something that we don't consider too often because we were in it every single day. But there's a lot of people who really still think that drinking is the worst thing in the world, you know. And so like to us, these things don't make sense on a lot of levels. But yeah, for a lot of those people, they're just kind of like, no, this is the right thing to do so, you know, to restrict this stuff and to make it harder and all that because they fully believe that alcohol is still the devil. I mean, that's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, call me a Satanist, I guess. That's, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's you know, my red wine does look an awful lot like blood. And oh, it's, yeah. uh, it's really tasty. It's into all kinds of weird stuff, huh? Mm-hmm. It's true. We could make an entire different podcast based on weird stuff that, that, that uh, we like. Oh, boy. Uh, well, so, so those are our stories for the week. Um, did you have, how did we transfer from going, talking about, uh, uh, the Supreme court to Satanism? I'm sure somebody can, can show me a good YouTube video pretty soon saying how Um, that makes sense, but I'm, I think it's just like our normal conversation patterns that, (laughs) You know, I think this was, you know, the, since the very beginning, the goal of this podcast was just to share our natural selves in our natural habitat. And we, you know, we've just gotten to the point where we're so used to it now. Like there's, there's things that, that I've actually gotten to the point where I've will be reached out to and they'll be asked a question about the podcast. And I have completely forgotten what we talked about, you know, because we do talk a lot outside of the podcast as well. So when people reach out to me, and unfortunately, I've been able to answer questions because they're specific enough uh, that I just like, I'm like, oh, this is how I feel about something. So I know I can answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that that's like how how Star Trek um, actors feel about Trekkies asking them questions about about an episode that they were on? No, because I I think there's I think there's a huge disconnect between actors and the source material and stuff like that. I think like like these there's not a disconnect It's like we just talk about this stuff so much and there's so many things that we that don't make it onto this medium that we talk yeah. about right? yeah that's fair and, and, and also to be fair you and i change our mind pretty pretty often based on new facts that we learn well we're pragmatic for the most part yeah so i i do think that's a i i, I think that's a positive but um there is a lot that i just forget that that's a thing i'm like oh yeah i did i did say that hmm um okay like cool, cool, cool. <laughs> now now i have to now i have to die by that <laughs> yeah 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 now i'm in the ether and that's and fine. I, i'm i'm down with dying by me drinking blood it's okay I'll, yeah uh, well, then, there you go there, there it is um okay so and, and part of our new recurring segment did you find anybody on social media this week or do you want to recommend anybody on social media this week for people to follow? Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm actually, I, I know that we're early into this, but I'm already throwing it for a loop and I'm, I'm, because it's just what, what I do. Uh, and you actually recommended this to me. So it's not social media, but, uh, but on, um, Spotify, are you into the playlist? The playlists. Oh, okay. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah. The um, there is a tiki bar in Florida. Is it in Miami? It's in Miami. Yep. It's in Miami. And Drew, when he came back, he was just raving about their playlists. And being being at a store, you know, I, I never want to subject myself and or people who I am around all the time with the same fucking music all the time because that's just emotional abuse. Um, but Esotico in Miami, most amazing playlists. I love their goddamn playlists. Uh, so uh, on Spotify, I don't know if they're on any other 
if they use any other uh, platforms, but definitely on Spotify, Esotico, E-S-O-T-I-C-O. Um, my personal favorites are probably the disco mixtape and the 90s playlist are are two of my favorites that I listen to almost all the time. They've they've got a, a, a reggae mixtape that I'm I'm into as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's my recommendation. I strongly stand by that. <laughs> I mean, it is it is a really great playlist and you know, that's a, that's a bar that I look forward to returning to one day. There's just so many great people that are involved with it as well. And, um, yeah, if you guys enjoy any of that kind of music, you should, you should definitely do it. Um, this isn't a new follow for me, but just someone who I have felt over the past few years has always been such a strong voice for, for, um, the industry and just seems to have their finger on the pulse better than most. And so it's going to be uh, Bobby Hugel. Um, and so it's B-O-B-B-Y underscore H-E-U-G-E-L. And he owns a, a few places, um, but probably most well-known is for like uh, Anvil in Houston. So he's always sharing really good stuff. He, he's, you know, been uh, an advocate of getting more support for restaurants and bars over the past few months. And, now them having to deal with the mask and different ways to approach that. He put out this really cool signage that he is letting people in his County just download for free and be like, Hey, just put this on your door. And what I like about it is, so it says this, um, and, this is, and again, this is a PDF that you can download uh, mask required upon entry and when not seated per Harris County regulations. Thank you for complying with this policy at all times, thereby maximizing safety and not making our staff's job harder than it already are. So it's like, that's just great. It's direct. And I just really hope that, um, you know, people can, you know, he'll continue to add to the discussion and be a positive influence in the industry, which I know he will, but it's just, you know, go follow him. He only has like, let's see, 15, 15,000 followers. <laughs> you know? yeah, Bobby, Bo- Bobby is, uh, uh, first of all, um, he is prolific. Uh, he is a trendsetter. He is young. Uh, he's two years younger than me, which pisses me off because he owns like 13 locations. Uh, and they are that each like he owns, he owns coffee shops. He owns Anvil. He owns pastry war, uh, a lot of places in Texas. And, and, so not just from a business standpoint uh does his voice carry a lot of weight but also culturally within within the booze industry his voice carries a lot of weight um because he speaks from experience and he speaks from a place of education um and from a place that comes from supporting uh the people who work for him and not just pontificating if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, Bobby, Bobby's been, been a huge advocate for the industry pretty much since I've known him. Um, and before being an advocate for the industry that I was aware of, he was an advocate for agave spirits, you know, well before they were even close to being popular. Um, so uh, it's, you know, he, uh, he's someone that I, I definitely look to. I know he ruffles a lot of feathers, especially lately when he, when he asks tough questions about, you know, why aren't brands spending money in this way or that way? Um, but he, he definitely drives a conversation. Um, and I think that, that can irritate some people but it's something that I definitely admire and I, it's hoping something that I hope that you and I can attain in the coming years. I, I do have aspirations to, you know, to create the wake that he does, you know, um, he, for sure. I mean, I can't emphasize enough how influential he is. So, so definitely give him, give him a follow. Um, and then yeah, jump on Spotify and, follow the esotico stuff it's really really fucking great 
Agreed. So um, that's all I got for you, man. Well, good. I was done <laughs> talking to you anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Cheers, buddy. All right, homie. Take care. The Good Bottle Podcast is a product of Fluid Concepts. Episodes are produced, edited, and uploaded by Christopher Sinclair. The music comes to us by two very talented brothers, Leon and Chase Moore. Interact and follow us on social media at The Good Bottle Podcast. <laughs>